welcome, welcome, our Space Between family. Welcome to another beautiful episode here. Today, we've got an amazing guest by the name of Michael Torres Hymas. And the reason why it's so special to have him here, particularly today, is because we will be talking about meditation. And today was our Global Meditation Day, which we called May Day. And what, what happened was millions of people across the planet came together and we all meditated at the same time online. And it was the most beautiful experience. And the reason why it was so symbolic with having Michael Torres Hymas here today is because meditation absolutely saved his life. So it's great topic and you're in for an absolute treat. You guys spend some time together? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, Michael Torres and I spent time together. Yeah, we did. And we the did. time that we spent together. But what does that mean? We spent time together. What does that mean? We spent time together. We, yeah, what do we do? Spend time together. Okay. So we actually did time. We yeah. actually have done time together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's say hi to Michael. Michael Torres, how is Honored to be here. Honored to be here. Thank you guys for having me here. Thank you for coming, bro. Yeah, it's such an honor to be here and to share the space with two amazing humans. I'm just super honored and delighted that I got to share, get to share this moment and get to share my story with you guys and all of you viewers, but also to be a part of the, you know, the global meditation that happened today and to be a part of this, 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 this leadership of thought leaders, just, just infusing the planet with high vibrations and high thought on meditation and not just meditation, but a whole new perception of this world and what we're going in. I'm super honored to be here. So thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you both for inviting me here. Yeah. We're so honored to have you. And let's talk about doing time. It's yeah, a phrase right. that's used for those that, that don't know around uh, being incarcerated, right? There's a phrase around doing because you have to go in there and, and do this time, get it out of, get out of the way so that you can get out and go back to your life, right? right. But what we learned was not only is it about being, right? Because how many of us are out there doing time and always caught in the doing and the busyness of the doing, 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 and we're never being happy, yeah. right? So yeah. it's a term that's used in for a prison term, but it's also something I think that's really beneficial to look at, just how we view time. Because right. the opposite of that is time doing you. That's right. It, <laughs> which is why we say, do your time. Don't let the time do you. That's right. And which is... The beauty in this, especially this spe specific topic right now, because the way you were able to do the time was through meditation. Right. Which, which we know, right, today and just in general, meditation, there's no doing. Meditation is being and being present in the moment, which is what I think one of the biggest gifts that I know I took away with and I know you, t you took away with as well, which is learning how to be more in the being state. Right, because um, there's three th concepts around energy, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's called be, do, have, and, and most of us are living doing, um, so that we can, so that we can be, so that we can finally have something. What does that mean? That means we're like living this crazy life, doing all these busy things in the doing, doing all the action, doing, um, you know, the, the certificates, the college degrees, the work, all these things that we're doing, so that we can finally. Um, you know, be uh, happy, right? So we can finally be happy and having the thing that we want. Or we're doing all these things that so we'll finally have the degree so that we'll be 
happy, right? These different ways of looking at life. And I think, I don't think I know that this can actually be super detrimental to human human living. And we've seen the examples of this when the stock market crashed back back I think in the eighties, where a lot of corporate people took their lives because they mm. were they were doing to have so that they would be successful, right? And so what what happened when 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 the external changed, the having changed, right? Their sense of who they were went out the window. Yeah. And so I think one of the keys, and I know one of the keys is to come from a place of beingness. Mm. So right here, right now, you are whole, perfect and complete. You are already successful, you are already joy, you're already love. Mm. And from that space of being, we can we can take action. And from taking action, we'll have certain things, right? And then we'll, as, and, and then the, the doing and then to have the certain thing at the end. Right. Let's talk about your childhood, man. Yeah. Like kind of what drove you that way? Because, yeah. you know, I, I know some of your experience as a kid. Yeah. Can you tell us how you ended up in LA, in the business yeah. that you got into? Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, first I just want to say like, Humble gratitude for, for both of you, um, for inviting me here to be on this on this sacred in this sacred space in this sacred conversation, um, and I'm really like having this moment, you know. Even when you said master coach, like it, it was kind of weird because like, this is something that I've envisioned. I didn't know it was going to be necessarily this place, but I knew that I'd be doing this work. And when I had that those visions, it was a long way from that. It was a dark place that I was living in, and it seemed like a very far road. So just to be able to be here and to be in your presence, uh, both of you, and I've gotten to speak with you, Joey, and you're an incredible human man. You Thank know, you, bro. Right? Yeah, yeah. So Thank and, you, and yeah. Kane, I've known him for a while, and, and I'm just very humbled and grateful to be here. So I just kind of want to say that Thank off you. the bat. You Thank know, you. I'm super honored. And um, one of the things that you said to me right now, before I get into how I grew up, you said something that just struck me, too. You said... We're just ordinary dudes, ordinary people. And, and, and if I can have anybody take anything away from this conversation is that, yes, ordinary people can speak to, can hear and channel divine spirit. It doesn't have to be the Dalai Lama or any of these other gurus that we see. My respects to all of them. And mm-hmm. we're just ordinary dudes, man, that have been through some stuff. We all have different stories. You don't have to go through my journey to be, to awaken or any of your journeys, but... If I can impart anything, is just that we all have that within, within us, within inside of us. That potential is within us, and so, and I, you know, I think it's innate. I think it's innate in all of us. I don't think I know it's innate in all of us. I know it's mm-hmm. part of our nature, of our childlike nature. When we're young, you know, we're we're gregarious, we're outgoing, we're fearless, we're, you know, we're we're, we're inquisitive, and we're we're giving, we're loving. You know, we don't hold grudges. We're not. We don't have resentment. And for me, a lot of my work has been getting back to that. Getting back to the childlike nature, not the childish nature. Mm. If you know what oh, I mean. Right. Can you say that again, right? right. <laughs> Getting back to the childlike so qualities, right? And not the childish, mm. uh, you know, nature of us. And it's a and I knew growing up, I you know, very, very early on, I was, I was born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. So I was raised in paradise. And, you know, and a lot of my life was paradise and some of it wasn't. And I know that growing up, I had this sense of very young, and this wasn't instilled by my parents, that I could do anything I wanted. Like I could, whatever I wanted to do, I could do. They instilled that in you with your dad and mom? They They, did not. You just felt it. You just felt it. I just felt it. They love them, love them, respects to them. Absolutely. But they instilled the opposite of that. 
and it was their way of how they were. It's how they were raised, and it was their way of motivating me. Was very religious. They were Catholic. They were they were Catholic, but you know, not so following the religion, but. The style of my father growing up and what I remember a lot of it, I tried to search for good memories and I had a really hard time finding them sometimes and I wanted to find them. But there were memories a lot of like never feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, Hispanic parent, very hard. You know, I was, uh, you know, punished in a way where today, you know, it would be called abuse. And so it seemed like no matter what I did, I could never be good enough for my dad. You know, and I always, and I always wanted to just be good enough for him. I wanted to, to make him proud and... And so that was contradicting this, this, this knowing that I could do anything I wanted to, hmm. right? And so, and then my mom, not so much putting me down, but my mom is like, I, no matter what I tried to like love, like it was like very standoffish. So I never got this love. So I, two universal beliefs that I've come to understand that we all have is not feeling lovable, not being lovable, and not being good enough. These are universal beliefs in my work that I do. Yeah. Didn't know that back then, though. You know, I'm a kid, right? What the right. fuck do I know about universal beliefs? I'm just like, don't feel good enough. I don't feel loved. Yeah. And so it became a lot about trying to prove that I'm good enough a lot in my life. And to, to as far as the being lovable, not so much prove that I'm lovable, but holding people at a distance because if my mom didn't love me, who would? Kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the not good and good enough belief that I in, that I created, my unconscious mind created. I began to try to overcompensate for that by trying to do really good. Problem with that is that the belief's still there, mm-hmm. you know. So no matter what you do, there's never enough. There's, there was never enoughness that was instilled really early on. At the same time, I was having these beautiful experiences as a child. You know, I would I would. You know, in Hawaii, I would go to the beach and surf and connect with the, with the nature and feel so at home. I would, I would um, climb the streams and just hop on rock to rock alone and connect and go off alone in the, with myself in nature. I would climb trees and jump off of trees. I would, you know, I was very, I was, I had this. At the same time, I was like, I can do anything I want, right? I can do create anything I want. At the same time, I had anger. Had a lot of fucking anger going on because yeah. I just wasn't like I, I was getting spanked. I didn't fucking like that shit. I wasn't <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I don't think you're supposed to like. I, I didn't like that. And, like. and then it was like yeah, I know, right? But I hated it, actually. And then it was like, then it was like I felt like I was being put in a box, uh, right? I felt like I was put in this box, and it was like I want to play, right? And and I only had an hour to play on a Saturday, and if I came home late, guess what I got. I got whoopings, right? So I was like confused. Why am I being punished for wanting to play with my friends, right? I'm a kid. That's what I'm supposed right? to do. Yeah, I'm just a kid, right? And so yeah. that was the anger that started to cultivate. And I, what I didn't know then that I know now is that if you don't manage your emotions, if I don't manage my emotions, they, they get suppressed. And they build and they build and they build and they build. And then eventually it needs an outlet, right? So that outlet became where I would, I would take it out. You know, on 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 certain things, you know, and I found myself, you know, as as and just being very vulnerable and honest, something that I'm, I'm not proud of. I would even take it out on animals, you know. But that wasn't my nature. But I was didn't know how to release this anger that I had, you know. And then in school, I was picked on for um, being Hispanic in in a Hawaii in a Hawaii dominated culture. And then I threw a punch, and then I got respect. So I thought that's the way to let it out, right? So at the mm. same time. I was creating this persona. 
of who I thought I needed to be yeah. to, to survive, to, survive, to yeah. be liked, yeah. to be loved, and to be respected. But, it, but that wasn't me, though. But that's that facade I started to create, you know? And so that's my early childhood growing up in Hawaii. Went to a private school, so I should have, been, I should have done good, right? And I, but, I, but I was, like, starting to create this thing. And so as I got older in, in the private school that I was going in, was getting good grades, but but because my parents wanted me to get good grades and punishing me for not getting good grades, I started to create this rebellious attitude um, that back then, that I now, now I see how it's benefiting me now because I still have that same thing, but I'm using the rebellious attitude to like globally change things right now. Right, right, but back right. then it was like, screw you, I'm just not going to go to school, right? I'm just going to do this and do that and do whatever I want. And so I was, I felt like, like, very early on, like I was stuck in the system that I wanted to get out of, but I didn't know how to get out of it. And then when I, when we moved to California, I was, you know, in my, um, what was I, you know, sixth grade, went to seventh grade, I was 12 years old or something. And I went to private school, Hawaii, few friends on the block to like public school <laughs> in San Diego, <laughs> where most of the schools bust in from the neighborhoods, the gangs, right? So I began to say, you know, in the school, I began to gravitate towards the other kids that were like, I don't want to be put in a box either, which we kind of know where that ends up. And it ended up me getting involved in drugs at a very young age. Um, How old were you? You say young. Seventh grade, already smoking marijuana. Eighth grade, already doing stuff like meth and acid and this stuff at a very young age. I see what you You were using at that age, not like... You hadn't started selling. No, no, no. I was just using. I was just using with other kids and gravitating towards this, you know, towards other kids that were also, like, not wanting to be part of the system. And I felt connected with those people more so. But what I didn't know then that I know now is I was putting myself in another box. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really being free because I went from one box to, like, another little box, a smaller box, right, that I didn't see. But, but all the while, innately, what I was really searching for was this, this, this calling, this desire to be able to, to do what I love and do what I want to do. And I think we all can relate with that, you know, just wanting to have this inner freedom, this inner peace. And so that continued and through, throughout that path, yeah. What did you, back then when you were in that space, what did you see yourself being or doing? I saw myself being a superhero, man. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> I tell people all the time. I, I used to think up. I was going to be, yeah, something like, like that. Like, I used to watch, like, all the superhero mayor. movies, like the Transformers and G.I. Joe and all these cartoons, right? Superman and all these. And I'm like, I can do that. And, in fact, before I moved to, this is an interesting part, before I moved to San Diego, I was about eight, seven years old, seven, eight years old in Hawaii, and we, li- we lived in a 22nd-story building, and I would look down, 20, 22 stories, look down and be like, I can make that jump. I can make that jump. No, seriously, yeah. I can make yeah. that jump. Right. And I yeah. even climbed over the railing one day. Climbed over the railing and was over the railing on the, the side where there's nothing there. Thinking it through? Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's like there because it would leave me alone, right? And right. I'm like, I can make this jump. And I, was, I remember looking down at the bush and going, I can bounce off that bush and I'll make it. Because right? <laughs> I was watching all these like Kakaida shows and you know, <laughs> superhero shows, right? And I looked down. And all of a sudden, I'm like, it wasn't fear, but it was something said, don't do this. It wasn't fear, though. 
This is was interesting, and I climbed back over the railing, and I never was tempted to go over that and jump again. But that was, I think, the beginning of what is this thing that was calling my higher self for sure? Because it wasn't fear. It wasn't I'm afraid of that. I knew I could make it, but I didn't do it, right? So now fast forward, I'm in, I'm in California, and I'm living this life, and I really believe I could do whatever I wanted. So, you know, in that, and then as I got in, involved in drugs, it was like I just became a product of my environment, you know? And I believe that I was a really good seed that placed itself in a negative environment. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. I, I chose the environment. I started to choose this environment that, that the seed grew in. And, and the world that I was choosing was infested with um, criminal activity at a very young age. You Did know. someone hand you the sack for you, spiritual? It was the sack is drugs. It was really interesting how that how, how that thing happened because it was like you just I just had this mind where I just see things and I just saw this and all of a sudden I saw an opportunity like this guy wants something this guy has it shit I can just do this real quick thing right here and at first it was like a favor and it was like well I can make twenty bucks out of it or I can make fifty bucks out of it and I just very much became I think I can relate with with both of you in a sense like. I can definitely tell with Joy, like you're a connector, like you're a network, you connect people with people, and so mm-hmm. does Kane, right? And so I was able to do that. I was able to connect people with people, and, and uh, at the time, what I was doing is I was making money off of it. Mm-hmm. So once I was able to do that, I started to collect money, make money, and then save a little bit of money, and then ran away from, left home at about uh, ninth grade. Yeah. So ninth grade, I decided to boogie on out. And I remember, I remember going to school, and there was a, there was a guy, his name was Angel, and I went to auto shop class in Point Loma, and he's like, he's like, what's up, Rasco? He's calling me Rasco. Angel I'm from like, auto body shop. <laughs> <laughs> you get that one he, he was from a neighborhood, he was from, he was from actually a gang, and, but this is an auto body shop, and uh, he's like, what's up, Rasco? I'm like, man, I'm just fucking sick of being in school, I told him, man, I'm sick of being here. He goes, why don't you just leave, Rasco? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave. <laughs> and, I, and I walked out. I am going to leave. I walked out, and I never went back. Walked out and leaving school also left the home that I was living in Same, because yeah. it was like if you leave school, I'm just going to hear from my parents, right? So I just and so I went to a state of friend's house. You basically ran away. God, yeah. how old are you in the ninth grade? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, about fourteen. And so yeah. I, I moved in with a friend, and this friend 13, that I moved 14, in yeah. with was involved in in a gang, and uh, so I became involved in the gang. But something felt wrong even when I was in there. Um, Something fell off. It's hard to explain what it was. It was, I just, something fell off, but I was, I got a lot of respect in there, and it was like this family vibe in there, and so I did that for a while, and then it was like, mm, you know, you guys are broke. <laughs> <laughs> you were right? living on the street right now, though, right? Uh, or you were staying at friend's house? I was staying at a friend's house, and I, yeah. I, got, I got a job. I was working at a, my first job was uh, was Rubio's. It was a ta- uh, fish taco place in San Diego. Like, you guys are broke. I'm like, <laughs> like, you guys are, and, are horrible. And not just that. So there was not just broke. What really didn't resonate with me, believe it or not, is um, the violence. Yeah. The violence. I didn't understand why they were fighting each other. Mm. That didn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, and they were fighting people that were just like them. Mm-hmm. That was the weirdest thing to me, right? And so I'm like, why are we fighting each other? Like, I get it, right? We stick together, but like that person you're fighting is like you. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that part really didn't set in yeah. with me. And that was one of the most uncomfortable things, I think, 
being a part of that. I, I know my nature, although I said I was, I was being angry. It's not my nature. I know now. I know for sure it's not my nature. Um, there's a difference between being angry and being violent. Too, yeah, there's though. a difference. Yeah. Anger is actually a powerful emotion that I actually coach my clients to use in positive ways. Right. But this this wasn't anger. This was violence. This was rage. You know, and rage uncontrolled does stupid things. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so that's kind of how I went on that path. And that whole era of just of just being in that neighborhood was very dark. It was a very dark time in my life. And I was very scared. You know, I was very scared because it was the older guys and there was pressure and this and that. Mm. And, and they all, But it's almost as if even the older guys knew that I didn't belong there. Mm. It was really weird. It's like they, they like knew, like, you, what are you doing here? Like, you know what I mean? So there was always a sense of, like, what am I doing here? And so I got, at, at that point, um, I got, I, w- I was older and, and I was, like, starting to get a little bit more into, you know, the drug selling here and there. But not on a very big scale. You know, I was selling a little bit here and there. And, you know, it's work, I was working jobs and doing this and that. And then about 19, 20 years old, um, I remember getting into, like, um, Getting into my son was born. My son was about, you know, he was young. He wasn't even a year old. And I remember I getting your double right now. I, I know. I remember getting into like, uh, I get into a situation, uh, you know, and it, it wasn't a good situation. And people got hurt, and I was part of that, you know. And it felt really, I felt really bad about that. And I thought, I said to myself, I don't want my son to be raised like this. And to be a part of this. And so I, I told his mom, let's go. And sold what I had. And we got on a plane and we, we moved to Hawaii. I was 20 years old. 20, 20, 21 years old. 20, 21. I was 21 years old. Got on a plane. Just, when, you, when you went to Hawaii, did you, were you aware of what was going on in Hawaii yet? Like what we talked about earlier? Did you know what you were going there for? Or did you were just trying to get away? I was trying to get away. Okay. No, no. I, I just was, I was like, I'm going to get away. I'm going to go do something different. I'm going to do something positive. I'm going to raise my son in Hawaii and give him, give him the life that I, that I remember. Because even though I talked about some stuff in Hawaii, it was still pretty darn good. Like I was at the beach and I was going in the valleys, right? And, you know, it was, it was a good, it was a, there was good parts to it. Right. So I wanted my son to experience that. But what I know now, what it, which I didn't know then, is you can't run away from your beliefs. Mm. You, right. you, can't, you can't run away from your unconscious They're beliefs. You. They're always with you. So you can put yourself in another environment, but if you don't work on the inside, mm. you're going to create the same kind of outcome. Right. You know, so in Hawaii, I, I tried to do the right thing. But my, my, my programming and my unconscious beliefs were just bringing me down. It was a matter of time before that happened. Um, and then my, my family moved out to Hawaii. I moved to, to Maui uh, with my family. I broke up with my son's mom and went through a depression state and then woke up from that and then ran my dad's restaurant. But then as a guy started to come in there and I noticed him and I, I recognized the style of this person, right? Like, okay, I know this dude. He's, this dude's doing some things. He's rolling, he's rolling right? He comes in and throws money around. So, so you knew what type of dude he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. actually, you, you, I think you know him. You met, you met this guy. What? Uh, I, know, I know you met him. His name was George. He was a paisa. Uh, yeah. And George was my, my crime partner. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We, we met. And long story short, uh, we started... We started to 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 move cocaine, in, in Maui, and he was a paisa in Hawaii. Yeah, he was from Mexico, 
and he was moving cocaine in, in, in Hawaii. You gotta remember, his dad is basically a paisa too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 His dad's born a paisa straight from Mexico. Right. And so, uh, and so uh, it was interesting because I took him out with me and you know we were partying and I started noticing that he was making some calls. I said, hey, I know somebody, maybe they could get some and sold that. And they didn't make any money out of it, didn't care really at the time. So I'd already left that. Right. It's been years since I was involved in that. But he's like, hey, the guy that he gave it to was calling me again. I'm like, hey, this guy's calling me again. So I want you to just, you know, take some. Nah, I'm cool. I'm, you know, I'm not really doing that anymore. He goes, no, just take it. So he gave me a little bit and just went so fast. And then I, I asked for more and it went fast. And then next thing you know, it's like he couldn't supply how fast I was moving it and he couldn't get it any cheaper. And all of a sudden I'm like, it just starts. well, I used to live in San Diego. <laughs> and I know people over there. I'm sure if I call them up, we can get it a lot cheaper than what we're paying for here. And that was how we started to go to a whole nother level at that point and started to transport, you know, huge amounts of quantities of drugs to Hawaii and just how, within a, cube, a few years. was just, That's what I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, I was about 20, 26, 27 and 29, I was, you know, you know, multimillionaire. I was making lots of money. Uh, I, I went beyond Hawaii. You know, yeah. I moved from Hawaii and moved to San Diego. And long story short, just created a network of transportation, uh, moving from Mexico to Hawaii, you know, and to the East Coast, and then shipping all over the place. And, um, and 29 years old, 29 years old, thinking that I had everything solved, um, thinking that money... And you said this to me earlier, like I had this belief, I really believed that money could solve every single fucking problem that yeah. I had. So my main focus was to make more money. And so that's what I did, I just made more money. And I really looked at money as my God. When you said yeah. that to me, like it hit me hard. Yeah. Um, and so I got slapped in the face really hard with that belief because um, I remember praying to God one day in the mirror, um, you know, high on my own supply, which I never did, and I was doing it. That's how out of control I got. And just going like, what the fuck am I doing? Look, looked at myself in the mirror, and I started to cry. I started to just cry, just started to cry and be like, God, help me get out of this situation. I don't know how to get out of it. I just felt so trapped in this life that I created, and I knew it was wrong. At that point, I knew it was wrong. Now, prior to that, I didn't think it was wrong. What was that? What, what, <laughs> what was that? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I was yeah. going to say the way, the way I grew up, I was almost looked at, I watched mafia movies. My, they taught me how to hustle. My yeah. dad was like a pimp. And here I said, that's like they taught me to hustle. I just watched. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't have to teach anything. You yeah. just watch what they're doing. You're like, okay, I could get yeah. this, this, and this if I act out. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just watching the, Same thing. the older people and, and then, okay, I can get that and that by doing that, you know? Absolutely. And I, I was same thing. I watched Scarface and Godfather and all these movies, right? <laughs> and I remember when I was in prison, right? Well, like, yeah, it's you cool guys are shit. watching Godfather and Scarface. Yeah, and I'm I like, was watching Heat. Yeah, I watched <laughs> that too. Right? That was one of my go-to's, man. <laughs> I was watching Dog Day After. That was one of my go-to's, right? So I, it's like, yeah. can I ask you this? What was that point? Because I know for for myself, there was that point where. In the beginning, I knew I was doing wrong, but as I continued, I started to justify. And then there was just this long period where I had no conscience behind it. Yeah. I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else, but the actual conscious of like, okay, 
you have to stop this didn't yeah. hit me till yeah. a lot later. And we know it was the lady. What was yeah. the defining moment with you where it was like, okay, this didn't used to bother me, but like, whoa, I yeah. know, man, I need to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, cause I never, I was 29, 29 years old and I had never been arrested. Mm-hmm. And I'd done tons mm. of dirt. You went to 29 and never got arrested? <laughs> never got arrested. <laughs> That's fucking great. And I firmly believe <laughs> it's because I didn't think I was doing anything wrong before. Got it. I didn't have any guilt. I just felt like this is my hand. I'm going to do what I got to do to make some money. I'm not hurting anybody, really. Like, it's free will. People are buying this stuff of their own volition. So I'm just trying to get mine. So I didn't think there was anything wrong right. until later on as I got older and I started to use and I started to see how my relationship was toxic how I started to see how my relationship with my son how I was neglecting him how old was your son back then he, he, he was already like eight eight years old oh old and I started to... and I started to see how like I would promise him yeah we're gonna go somewhere tomorrow and then I would lie to him because I was too hungover so I started to feel like this guilt right. like the life I'm living is wrong mm. and and I started to think at that point, if, if the drug is messing me up, imagine how many people's lives I'm messing up. I started to think this stuff, oh. right? And that's when I started to feel like this is wrong. And then I think I started to feel like I'm going to get arrested. And then I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to get arrested, right? If it's I like was- the moment you said to yourself, I'm doing something wrong. Now you know, okay. It was like... Yeah, it's like I felt... I felt the, the heat coming. It was really weird. And, and the people that were closest to me, I couldn't trust them. You know, I, 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 you know, I just felt like they were... I don't know if you guys ever relate with this, where you, somebody's looking at you, but they're looking at taking what you got. Yeah, you can yeah. feel it. That street smart feeling you got. Yeah, and and sometimes you don't know, but if, it, if it's intuition, though, like it, it's, it's street smart, you're like... Because you pick up on things. <laughs> so, like, if you're in any type of situation where you have to watch yourself because you're... You, there's things around any corner yeah. you're going to have that sense so yeah. is it street smarts is it intuition did you start using that yeah. you know that antenna at an early age that's, I think that we all have it I think I've always known yeah. this is how I was also not able to I was able to not get caught all those years I was able, always able to tap into something that led me through certain things and I really was fearless and that's when since I was a young since I was young that fearlessness of wanting to being able to jump off of that that you know that building the the skyscraper that I was on that I had that I just I wouldn't I didn't believe that I had any fear I just was like I can do anything can mm-hmm. I ask you a question you know? when you when you were doing this right and you were selling dope was there a part of you that wanted your parents to be proud of you even Absolutely. that you were selling dope because I Absolutely. remember telling my like 100%. I, I, yeah 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 that was 100%. a big deal for me I wanted to tell them have dinner and be like yo like I really wanted them to be proud of me like I had done something now, thinking back about it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, but yeah. I really thought I'd done something That's special with my life. One of the things that I've always wanted from my dad was for him to be proud of me. Yeah. And so he believed that money, I got to my dad. My dad was all about making money. So I'm like, I'm going to make money just like you. I'm going to make money, more money than you. I'm going to be proud of me, right? And I did. And when I started to make more money and I started to have these houses and cars, he was respecting me more. It actually was really weird how mm. that happened, you know? And so to, to that point... To what you're saying, you yeah. know, definitely. Um, I think that, that it, I think that's so much programming of society, though, where we're all judged, yeah, not by who we are, but what we have, yeah, or what we can give to you, yeah. You know, that's kind of becomes 
I know yeah. my biological father had nothing yeah. to do with me until I was 30 years old and a yeah. multi, multi-millionaire. Yeah. That's when he wanted yeah. to come in. So Absolutely. yeah, it's kind of crazy. And, and aside happens. from my, my father being a person who, well, I described him kind of as person that nothing I did was good enough. My dad was like pretty, not pretty, very successful. I mean, you know, didn't speak the English language, moved to Hawaii, opened up a restaurant, opened up another restaurant, became multimillionaire. My really? dad was making multi-millions in his restaurant. Over a millionaire for sure. Uh, retired when he was young. I mean, my dad is one of the hardest working humans I've ever met. Mm. Uh, but I understand now what drove him was his limiting beliefs. Mm. So limiting beliefs, this is what the work that I'm, we'll get more into the work, but your limiting, a limiting belief can create a lot of success externally. But internally, you can be fucking dying. A lot of really rich people out there who are miserable inside. These are some of my clients that I work with today. I help them gain the inner, the inner fulfillment so it matches the outer fulfillment. My dad had the outer fulfillment but never had the inner fulfillment, which is why he couldn't give me the love that I wanted or the support because he was driven by pain. You get that? Like yeah. pain, It's a pain driver. I teach a lot of, in my classes that I teach, pull motivation versus push motivation, right? Like I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do this thing because I don't want that to happen to me, right. or I'm gonna do this thing because I'm look. This is driving me and pulling me towards this, right? The pain motivator so burns us yeah. out. I was telling you with 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 my dad, I was doing all these things to try not to become him. Absolutely. The whole idea was, and and he was on heroin, so I don't really know if he could feel love. I know they loved me, right? But I think he was just so numb, but. Yeah, he didn't really understand what it was. I think my parents were trying to understand what, what that was and wanting it. Like, I knew as a kid, I was like, you want to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. Yeah. But I didn't understand the disconnect of what I was missing. And that's why I think search, I left the house trying to find, you know. Yeah. I think we all, all three of us have that common thread where we have these male figures, these men that, you know, we feel just didn't give us the love and I think we went out trying to prove so much and and you know some of it is like God I want you to be proud of me and the other part is like fuck you I'm gonna show you I can do this yeah 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 my dad yeah my dad's high telling me to do push-ups and if I could do more push-ups but yeah I didn't realize how high he was I'm like yeah yeah, I've got 15 and the only thing in my head I was thinking was get to 15 not my dad's high as fuck and he doesn't realize what I'm doing because I want him to be so proud of me so whatever it was that he would say but it was just to keep me busy to probably let him do what he was doing yeah but I would work my ass off just to try to make him happy yeah you know absolutely whatever it was 100%. You know, yeah. and one of the interesting things you said you said I, I didn't want I, I didn't want to be like him right so what picture do you have in your head when you say that what you don't want to be like mm-hmm. right so this is the work when you get deeper into how the mind works which I fucking love is it's about changing the pictures and the conversation in your head mm. right so if I say don't think about a pink elephant Right? What are we all thinking about? Right. Fucking pink elephant, right? <laughs> but I'm saying don't think about it. So our unconscious mind doesn't process negatives. It processes pictures. And we become like the pictures that we, that we have mostly in our minds. And the conversation, it's called auditory digital. We all have a conversation in our minds every yeah. fucking day, all day long. Yeah. It's are you controlling that conversation? And is it, is it a good conversation? Is it an uplifting conversation? Or is it a beating yourself up conversation? Is uh-huh. it a, I hate this or I hate that or I'm not good enough or man, you know, why did I do it? I'm such an idiot. How many times do we say that unconsciously? 
oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. Right. Innocently saying that shit. But when you're saying that, you're affirming that you're stupid. <laughs> Unconsciously, yeah. right? Yeah. These are the subtle things that we don't notice. That when you shift this thing, say, no, no, I made a mistake. Right. I made a mistake, right? As my son says, Dad, you're so human. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. He, he I wish my son of, would say that. Yeah, he, yeah, that. Should, he, he says something he, a little different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's so human. It's so funny how you talk about that because I, all the successful people. No, yeah. I shouldn't say all. Oh, that's a very big yeah. statement. So many of the successful people that I know, yeah, especially the ones that are, you know, didn't do it the right way. They don't have a a um, oh. Um, I don't want to be broke. Yeah, thought pro- pa- uh, process. Yeah. They exactly. have a. There's nothing else for me to be but rich. I I, the, I am owed that. Yeah. I'm gonna go get that. Yeah. I take that. Yeah. Their main focus is totally getting money, getting money, getting money. People that are broke are. God, I got. I can't be yeah. broke. I can't be. Ba- I can't right. be in debt. I can't be in debt. So the two thought patterns yeah. are complaining. Then we say, well, that guy's a bad guy. Why is he getting, you know, rich and I'm a good guy and I'm right. not? Well, because right. your thought pattern is I can't be broke. I can't yeah. be broke, and his is yeah. There's I certain get there's this certain money. there's certain laws in the universe. I'm not sure. You, I know you guys are aware that certain laws in the universe that you can manifest manifestation and, yeah. and yogis yogis have these 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 techniques that can manifest literally coins out of thin air. I mean this is, I've been in I've seen it happen in front of my face with these yogis. They can right. this is real shit. Yeah. Right? right? So you can use these universal principles for like even for things that aren't necessarily good, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't escape cause and effect. You can't escape causing the fit. That's going to come back to you, right? So even though people that are making money on one end, if they're not doing it from alignment, other things come into their life, like their relationships suck, they overdrink, they're, they're not really happy. Yeah, they might have money because they're tapping into certain laws that can create that. Yeah. But for me, it's like I want both. I want to have external wealth and internal wealth. An internal, and I will not sell my external for the for the internal. This is because now I have my values in place. I have my morals in place. I've changed my belief systems, and and this is all I've really done. So anybody that's listening to this, that maybe you find yourself in a place, maybe not what I went through, but maybe you 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 find yourself in a place where you you've never done criminal activity, but you find yourself in a place where you're living in a job that you don't really love. Same fucking thing, right? Yeah. Right. Same thing. Yeah. People. One thing that I learned, and the one thing I think you know this, Kane, more than anybody is the one thing we learned in prison is that we were in prison before we were in prison in our minds, mm. right? And yeah. there's a lot of people who are in a mental prison of fear, of doubts, not even neglecting that they didn't go through our past, but they're just living in this inner prison in their minds of being limited, being conditioned, right? Yeah. And so now I'm extremely passionate about breaking people free. That's, that's what I do for a living, um, and just just helping people set them free from the matrix. So and, this, and this started back if you think so. When you were twenty nine, you go back and you're going to go your first time to prison, right? Yeah. So you're twenty nine years old, and this is actually where everything really shifts to kind of shift for you. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, explaining you had it, visits from Master P, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, no, it, <laughs> it wasn't Master P. It, it was <laughs> interesting. Paramahansa Yoga. Because when I described <laughs> this life that I lived was like to the fullest, right? Hundred percent to the wheels fall off. 
drug, you know, drug dealer and just, you know, just this person that was just like, roll, you know, twenty thousand dollar Rolex and cars and stuff. To go from that to have this shift, which is what happened when I was twenty nine years old, was incarcerated. When I was incarcerated by the federal government, three hundred pound gorilla came knocking on my door, (laughs) and I'm like. Oh shit! A gorilla knocked on my door before too. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I fucked up." <laughs> I'm like, "They got everything, wiretaps." This is, my mind just went to like John Gotti, right? When they get one of these people, they get everything. Was RICO? Was it a RICO? Uh, was it-, it was a conspiracy. It wasn't a RICO act, but it was a conspiracy. But what I found out as soon as I I was in and I started to get the paperwork is they didn't have everything. In fact, they didn't have anything on, on me. They had me on a wiretap in somebody else's everything. My everything was not touched. So, in other words, my whole organization that was over here, nobody got indicted. Just me. So everybody, and I was at the top of my organization. Yes. And the feds knew this. They didn't know who I was working with, but they knew because the player that the player that I talked to was a top player in his organization. So I didn't talk to the lower people. I talked to the main person. Mm-hmm. So they knew because I talked to him, and they knew because that person told them who I was to get a lower sentence. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're a big fish, so we're going to squeeze you so that you'll give us all of your other f- right. fishermen down the line. And so that's the pressure that I was put in, and that pressure ended up being um, a... a they were, I was indicted, and I was looking at a minimum mandatory of 20 years to life. Yeah. And that's what I was sitting with. And that was the breaking point. That was a breaking point when I was like, it took me to such a low, such a depressed low, that it, it's what my ego needed to break. It was the only thing that could break my ego. Before that, my ego was always like strong enough to stand everything. But that shattered me into a thousand pieces to the point that I was going to take my life. Mm-hmm. Sitting, sitting there in federal prison. Yeah. And that was about two months being in there. And at that point, when I was at that low, where I'm like, I want out. My son was going to be old by the time I get out. My parents will be dead by the time I get out. What the fuck am I going to live for? I couldn't see 20 years. I couldn't see past that. And so I, I was not eating. I was super stressed out. And I remember thinking, by looking in the mirror, looking at how how raw my skin looked and how pale my face looked, I remember thinking, like, I'm literally killing myself with my own thoughts. Uh-huh. And, and you wouldn't uh-huh. cooperate with the government. Uh-uh. So you wouldn't cooperate with the government. So that's even more stress knowing that, you know, because you could cooperate and then just have and it, it all tempting. knocked down. It was tempting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but since you didn't cooperate... That's even more stress because now that is going to be or or could absolutely be your yeah. reality doing and that. And it 20. was like people were like, everybody in there just about is cooperating. Yeah. Just so you guys Everyone know. else is. Yeah. And, and, and some people would be like, you're not cooperating? Think about your son. Right? And I'd be like, how am I going to teach my son how to be a man if I'm not a man? How am I going to teach him character? At that point, at first it was more of an ego thing. I'm not gonna a more of an ego thing, but once I had happened, what I'm about to explain happened. It didn't become an ego thing. Right. It became an integrity thing. It became a who, who for me to cooperate wasn't because it was the right thing. It was because I just want to get less time. That's not character. That is bullshit co- cowardness. Mm. If I committed a crime and I want to get less time, and I'm gonna tell on Kane, 
just so that I can get less time. That's not integrity. Right. That's being a coward. I owned it. I, I got to own my own actions. Now, if Kane gets caught on his own, well, that's his, that's his problem. Yeah. Right? That's a, that's a stance that I took where, you know, though I did all my crime on my own when I got caught, they knew I knew about other people. And it was like, give us those guys and we'll do this over here. And I was yeah. just like, wow, you know what? I'm here because I say I'm going to be have yeah. some integrity now. So I yeah. just... Yeah, you just got to stand up sometime and yeah, take those lumps, it. man. <laughs> so here's the thing, man. There was a guy in prison. There was a guy in there in pretrial because I wasn't even sentenced yet. I was sitting there two months, three months. Three months, I think it was. I don't know, two, three months. I don't remember the exact time. But but I, this guy was always happy. You know, right. He was fucking walking around and he was like happy all day long. The only guy that was happy. <laughs> and I mean... Genuine happy because those other guys that were like they were all like you know looked like they were they weren't happy they were just miserable they were stressed out. What institution? What institution was I this? I was in a, I was in Hawaii. Okay, and now you see this guy. I was in San Diego, happy. but they extradited me to Hawaii because that's where the case was out of. Right. What did you see? When I told you my buddy was he here? Or did you see him out here or in Hawaii? That was after I saw him after in in Lompoc, California. Uh, this was years later when I when I met him, but. uh so I'm sitting there, I see this guy's walking around, he's happy, he's happy as can be, he's like, da-da-da-da-da, happy, 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 and I'm like, I gotta go talk to this guy, because I'm about to kill myself, literally, right? I'm like, right. about to take my life. So this is the defining moment. Well, I didn't know it, but I, yeah, it's, it leads to this, right? Right, right. So I walk up to this guy's door, and I remember n- knocking on the door, and opening the door, and he looks, he's sitting there. And he looks at me like he always does. He's like, hey, my boy, come in. And I'm like, I need to talk to you. I go, I'm about to kill myself. And you're always fucking happy. How the hell are you? What, what are you doing to be this happy? I need some of that in my life right now because I can't handle this pressure. What was his name again? His name was Harold. And he was in there for? He was in there for drug conspiracy as well. He's an older man, like 60-something years okay. old. And he started to talk to me. And as he started to, to share with me what he was sharing, it's like I became activated with some unknown thing that it is just, I'm sure you know what that's like. Now, you both have had this, this awakening happen. While he's talking to me, and I started to feel really different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like so enthralled by what he was saying. And he was talking to me about meditation. He was talking to me about spirituality and God in a way that was like, it was like nourishment to my soul, mm-hmm. you know? And he started talking to me about God in a way that was like, there's many, that God is love is what he's basically what he was saying. And I'm like, it was this foreign concept to me. I just never understood. And I'm like, I want to know more of this because I was feeling better as a result of talking to him. So he gave me some pamphlets and some stuff to read and what he gave me to read and what he was talking to me about was a guru that had been passed away and his name was Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm. And I was like, started to read his pamphlets and I went back to my cell and just read them, read them over and over and over again. And all Paramahansa kept talking about was this meditation thing. And I'm like, meditation, 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 meditation. And then I call my parents. I'm like, send me books on this guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they send me books on him. And I started to read all of his teachings. And every page, every word was being infused into my soul. 
it was the most incredible thing that was starting to happen to me. And yeah. I started to feel good for the first time. But what got really interesting is I started to practice meditation. I started to do this meditation thing. And he didn't, he would talk about it. He would talk about Kriya Yoga. Mm. But he said to learn Kriya Yoga, you had to learn from like one of the teachers. And I'm like, how do I get that in here? I want to learn this Kriya Yoga thing, right? So I, it didn't teach you how to do it. But I started to get other books on meditation. I started to teach myself how to meditate. And the more that I learned the art of meditation, the better I began to feel. How many of the like, dudes in there were... were like, you, because obviously you start talking to other dudes about it, right? So were there other cats in there that were meditating besides him that, that you started kind of... Or as just I, you as, two? As I started to open up within myself and I started to practice this art of meditation and I started to learn more about... I started to ask these questions, right? I, I, these, these are the questions that was perplexing my mind. Who is God? What is God? And what the hell is my purpose? And what, am I, what is my purpose here on the planet? Like these are the quite, those three questions were like in my head every single day. Who is this God? What is, what is it? And this is, this is <laughs> right? you say, three months into a, a 20 year, a, a 12 year? This is three months. Three With, months into it though, right? You started going through all these things and having an awakening like right in the beginning of your... Right in the beginning. Yeah. Right in the beginning, man. And I started to just... All of a sudden it was really weird because people would be like, Hey man, my aunt sent me this book. I think you'd like it. And they give me like a book on like more meditation or a book on like some channeled book from from like the Pleiadians or something, right? And I'm like, that's a trip. You're reading that in there. That's I started a- to read all this material going like, and it was just they just kept coming to me. They just kept all these books kept coming to me. Did was, you feel like you know when you start getting that information like that you want to start talking about it to other people because you yeah. know you're sharing like you it's it's a new yeah. thing so yeah. you want to start. There's a few that I did, but um, what I learned now that I didn't know then was uh, um, was basically that <laughs> you know people have to ask before you start talking about that stuff. You know? Yeah, because right. yeah. yeah. prison's a different place. Right. So, so I'm saying, how did that go over? Yeah. You know, because it, it was. It was really interesting because I started to, to, to draw people that were like, dude, you're happy. Teach me. That started to happen. Okay. Right? Not in the beginning, but it started to happen as, as, as it, 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 it unfolded, right? So I started the spiritual awakening. Long story short, I started to, to, to have these profound experiences, started to study. So I, I, I dedicated myself to study, right? And so for 10 years while I was in there, I, I, would, I taught myself how to, how to read and how to write and how to, ed- I used to write notes and study and spend hours and hours and hours in meditation. And I started to coach men in there. Mm. I started to coach men that were open. I started to lead groups of meditation while I was incarcerated and continued that practice. And then when I, uh, all the way in, and knowing, I started to get these visions that I'll be doing this work and teaching people and speaking to people on a, on, on a large scale. And I, and I was like, okay, whatever, right? I don't, I don't really understand how that's happening. And then I went to, I finally got sentenced and I went to the bigger prison and kept reading, kept studying. And that's where I met Kane. So, yeah. So when you, when you were uh, about to leave, but you, you actually started doing meditation in prison and, and uh, you met Reverend Michael Beckwith there. Did you have a chance to meet him? I did. I did. And so let me like, try to explain this to you guys as best as I can. Yeah. Like, prison, what prison became for me very early on was what people call an ashram. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it, because I started to read about ashrams and 
I created an ashram basically out of that environment because I was disconnected from everything. This is what people do. They go to an ashram. They don't have cell phones. They don't have connections. They don't have people. They don't have TVs. And that's what I did. That's how I use it very early on. And because I had my awakening, like literally three months into this this thing, this thing I started to read books on like, you know, Eckhart Tolle, um, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, um, you know, Urantia book, uh, books of Enoch, Bhagavad Gita, and Buddhist texts. I mean, I started to study so much stuff that I started to get this conflict. One of them was this, was this, the school of thought of this kind of like a Buddhist, everything is as it is, and being very non-attached to things. Mm-hmm. I started to step into that space of like real Zen-like, you know, it's because of all the meditation I was doing. At the same time, I was reading stuff like Wayne Dyer's book, like The Power of Intention and Creating Your Reality. So I started kind of question like which one is it is it one or the other and that led me down this path of trying to understand how to incorporate both of those schools of thought in a way Mm. that's really that 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 marry each other in a way and so i said to myself if i'm part of the universe if i'm part of god and god is me then i can create myself out of this situation right Right. (laughs) and so i hadn't been sentenced in fact i was fighting my case so I start to tap into this power of thought, power of universal creation, and I applied it towards creating my situation to be free. So I went to federal trial, which people were like, you're fucking crazy. Like, you don't fight yeah. the government. Like, yeah. what's wrong with you, right? They have, like, when they, they do... They have a 99% conviction <laughs> right. rate. I mean, yeah. literally. Because, right. you know, for all reasons why I'm not going to really get into, but it's set up so that they don't lose, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the way they created the federal guidelines, is to not lose but I went to trial and I felt that it was the right thing to do and I was meditating I was seeing it I saw myself being released and I the day came when I there I was going to trial it took me about almost two years a year and a half to finally get to trial and when I got there you know I sat there in trial and everything went wrong for the government it it wasn't going their way but at the end, I got sentenced. The jury found me guilty. And I remember going like, oh, I'm, you know, 20 years, right? I go back to myself going like, okay, you know what? Let me just accept what is. It's not over yet. And I, and I for some reason, I was drawn towards the book of, of Job in the Bible. Mm. So I started to read the book of Job. I started to read his story and... For those of you that don't know the book of Job, he went through a lot of crazy stuff and sicknesses and illnesses and it seemed like he had so much bad luck and, and, and he started questioning even God in the book of Job. So I was questioning. I'm like, God, what's going on? Let me understand how he worked through this because he went through some stuff, you know? And so I realized in reading that book that everything that was happening to Job was happening for a bigger spiritual reason that he didn't see mm-hmm. when he was going through what he was going through. So... I just stayed focused. I kind of got back into my center. And in the federal system, they give you what's called a pre-sentence report. Uh, And that basically means, because it's set up under federal guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. So, and wherever you fall under those guidelines is pretty much where you're going to get sentenced. My pre-sentence report came to me, and what it said on there was crazy. My attorney delivered it to me in person and she's like I don't know what the hell happened I don't want to ask questions but 
they're recommending 18 to 21 months. And I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, that means you're going to be released when you go to sentencing. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, we're not going to question this. We're just going to go with it. So I'm like, oh, my God, this really worked. This fucking worked, right? I'm like stoked, right? I get on the phone, I call my parents, I'm coming home. It's like your PSI report's golden. I mean, what it recommends is what the judge has to sentence you in. I mean, they could not do it, but it's what it's recommending. They're supposed to follow the federal guidelines, right? The reason why it was so low was because there was never a drug amount. The guy that testified never said to a drug amount. So they couldn't sentence me on amount. They used... They used some drug that they found in the state that they wrapped up in, which was only an ounce. So they, that's why it was so low. So the federal government didn't get them. They, they, it was like a loophole that, that they, they couldn't get me on, right? So about two weeks before I go to get sentenced, I call my son. I'm coming home. call my parents. I'm celebrating. I'm coming home, right? So about two weeks before, I get indicted on a whole nother case that we knew about, but they, they said the evidence was so weak that it, they never indicted me on that one. This one was actually before this one. It was two, I was involved in two big conspiracies. None of them were my conspiracies. Remember, I had my own thing. Right. Never got caught for that. So here I was indicted again, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just went through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to do this too, right? But I started to question myself. Wow. Maybe I should just plea out. The government gave me a deal. If I would have pled out, it would have been like three to four years, five years, I think. But I'm like, I don't want to plea out. I just beat the first one, right? I want to stay. This is their bluff. So I went. I went to trial the second time. What they did, <laughs> they said, we're not going to lose the second time. <laughs> what they did is they got somebody who had not testified, who had not they only had one person, long story short, one person that was saying anything. So they got another person. They offered them a really good deal to come in. And so now they had two. And these two people could collaborate amounts and all this other stuff. So I went to trial the second time. And that's when I, I was sentenced to 12 and a half years in that one. So now oh. I got 12 and a half years. Now I got sentenced. Like when you get sentenced, it's like, oh, there's still the hope of, there's still the hope of an appeal. So I held on to that hope. But in that moment, I had to accept what is. This is where I got to learn, you know, what people talk mm. about accepting what is. There's surrendering to what is, is freedom. So I surrendered to what is, and I just got back-centered, and I said to myself, okay, what is is this, but that's not necessarily what it's going to be because there's yeah. always a possibility of more, right? Yeah. Accepting what is doesn't mean you give up. It just means you're accepting the moment. So exactly. I accepted the moment, Knowing that the universe can open up doors for me. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, let me go do this. Let me go do this and see what happens, right? So now I have to go to like the big prisons because I was in FTC, which is, you know, a detention center. Detention holding, yeah. yeah. So now I'm still doing my practices, I'm still doing my meditations, I'm still doing all my work. Right. And I ask myself, how do I want to show up? And, I, and this is where I got to really really get deep into I'm going to be who I am. 
I'm going to stick to the spiritual path. I'm not going to hide behind my spirituality, which, which you've known people that can do that. Mm-hmm. There's like, they, you can go in, there's like a thing you can go in there and be like, oh, I'm a Christian. And then they don't, they leave you like alone in this little corner. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't go hide. He hung out with the tax collectors and, you know, the criminals and hung out with yeah. you know, all these. So I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be me in yeah. these situations. So I made a decision that I was going to go show up as me. Right. And so I did. And so the interesting thing is this, is that I led with spirituality and that actually helped me survive and make really good decisions. And I was always at the right place at the right time. It seemed it was really weird. Like I got to the bigger prison and the main guy from the yard, right? I would say the main guy, like the main shot caller, like that runs the whole yard, gravitates towards me and say, hey, What's up? This and that. Oh, you're from San Diego. From San Diego. And he's, hey, but he happened to be the guy of not only from San Diego, but was running the whole yard. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I did you know so and so? Oh yeah, I know so and so. He goes, man, I got an extra, I got an extra bunk. Yeah, I want you to bunk in with me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like the last person I want to fucking bunk with is this guy. He's a shot caller. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like, you know, you know, trying to to just do my time and go home, right? The universe God has a funny sense of humor. So I ended up being bunkers with this guy. And I remember as soon as I moved in with him, I said, can I talk to you? Pulled him to a place that just him and I were at. And I said, check this out. This is what I'm about. I'm about spirituality, meditation, and this is what I do with, with my time. If the homies need me, I'll be there. But if you don't need me, this is how I'm going to run my time. And I looked him straight in the eye, right. and I told him this. And he goes, respects, homie, do your thing. So I did. That's how I did. So I woke up every day, meditated, had my books in my backpack, and well, it was like a see-through backpack, went to the law library and studied and read and meditated and I would and in this place that I was at there was this this diamond of a lady her name was Cindy Serlincion she was a drug counselor and she had this amazing did you know her? Yes. She was such a freaking she was amazing. Just like a God sent woman so she took it upon herself to bring in people from the from the community to us and she created every lunch she'd had these meditation circles and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, fuck, I love this, right? I was all into meditation. So I got to be part of these meditation circles, but she would also bring in um, people from India, like Diksha. She'd bring in Agape. And this is when I met right. Michael Beckwith. And she would bring in all these different, like, Kundalini yoga teachers, right? And it was once a month that she'd bring the big groups in. And it was such a blessing to be there and to have this. And so I'm just like floating right like floating going like i can see now why i didn't win that second case i can see why now the universe needed to mold me more then i started to read these interesting books about the ten thousand hours and 10 years right and i got that's what i got i had 10 years to practice to master my craft to master me not my craft prison wasn't about me coaching i did coach men in there i did counsel but it was really about me I yeah. wanted to l- understand what the hell, how do, how do I end up here and I don't want to ever come back, right? And how do I be a, become a better human? And so that's what I spent 10 years studying and learning. 
And, you know, I did have small circles. Like I had a Course in Miracles group and I would teach men the Course in Miracles and, and I would have conversations and such. And I did do like a small like meditation group as well in there as much as I could. I think it's so important just to take a quick moment, Michael, to really let our audience know that for you all out there that are watching, that are going through something, you may not be getting ready to get sentenced for a prison or something like that. But, you know, Joey can attest. We all go through these things where sometimes even when once we surrender, there is a situation that still looks like we're just not getting the the best end of it. Yeah. And so often because the same thing with me, you know, there are moments where I could have completely got away with my crime, but you know, the universe wanted God, the universe, however you guys recognize it, wanted us. Yeah. Wanted us to experience the things that we were experiencing because that's where Joey says this thing. You said it during the, um, uh, during the testimonial, do your testimonial for the global meditation where you said sailors are, well, why don't you say it, Joey? Well, it's, it's, it's by Rumi, but say, you know, great sailors don't become great sailors sailing in smooth seas. Yeah. They become great sailors. Like, who are you going to choose? You're going to mm-hmm. choose a sailor that was out just chilling or the one that was battling rough yeah. seas. Yeah. So really, it's times like this. We're dealing with the time right now. This is it. Yeah. yeah. We're all confined to our houses. Yeah. There's all these things that are being said 100%. to us. We, if somebody dies in our family, we can't even go mourn their death because yeah. we could get sick. So we're all faced with this right now. We all are kind of in, incarcerated somewhat right now, right? Yeah. In our minds, yeah. by what they're telling us. We're all kind of feeling kind of really captured. And, yeah. and, and right now, that's what I'm saying. It's times like this yeah. that you make decisions on who you are and how you kind of see things, you know, mm. what creates your legacy, yeah. you know, defines who you are in yeah. times like this. So and, true. And how you show up. So in true. this moment, it, it's so many of you out there, and I, I really do want to talk directly to you all, so many of you out there will think that because it did not um, end up, you didn't get the, the decision that you thought you should get or it didn't, the circumstance didn't end up like exactly you thought it should end up <laughs> way more often than not. The universe has a much bigger and better plan for you and that that thing that you think you shouldn't have got or you shouldn't be in you know sometimes you just got to accept it like you said and, yeah. and look for the lesson there and the growth and where 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 can i be grateful in this space yeah that's where the universe just goes in and god just does this amazing work on us man and yeah. i i got to witness that work with you yeah it's a trip the system yeah. correctional system isn't built to rehabilitate no. but listening to you guys right. you'd be like well how the fuck did you because yeah. you, you know right like yeah. you'd be like wait how yeah. because you have this conversation with yeah. somebody else it could have been two cells down and it's going to be a whole different scene yeah yeah you're right it's not built to rehabilitate but i believe that there's anomalies that are that things happen so that they can lead and show that there is a way to overcome things there and it is that's what like cain is and, and i think i believe now I accept and I own that, you know, I own my purpose. And, 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 and it was a beautiful experience of, 
learning what it's like to be me regardless of the pressure of how I was supposed to be. Because if I could do it there, I knew I'd be able to be successful out here. Because right. I spent a lifetime trying to be who I thought everybody else wanted me to be before. And I think that's one of the big takeaways, you know. Um, and like you said, and so often to that navigate those, the, those seas, huh? So often that's a test. That yeah. is the, are you going to be who you say you want to be? Yeah. You know, because it's easy to... To, to to get that light sentence and then yeah. go home and so many guys we've watched you yeah. know Joey we've watched so many guys yeah. and, and I think you touched on it before where you know you, they get inside this place that this that's this big scary place yeah and you, you know you all do it in other parts of your life maybe not prison but you get in this place where you're having this hard time so you kind of start walking the right way but as soon as things gets comfortable again. Mm. It's easy to drop back yeah. into those old ways when you yeah. don't, you know, yeah. have to be this yeah. over here. And for you yeah. to keep your journey and keep your integrity, yeah. you know, and, and, and for you, Joey, when, you know, you were faced with what you were being faced with, mm. losing your family, you losing this, losing... Separated. Se separated from your family. Yeah. I, I lose, it just, I used to say that. I like that. Possibly. I like that you, you corrected me on mm. that. It's not losing. We never really lose. Nothing's yeah. ever lost. Right, right. Thank you, Joey. Um, but, but being separated from that and, 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 and separation from the finances, we can tend to think that, okay, that's it. And a lot of times, you know, the true gems or when we have nothing, who do yeah. we show up as and how do we show up? Yeah. And you, you kept fighting. You, you kept fighting the good fight. When I say fighting, you kept well, You believe in yourself. Your you belief. believe, you know, it's yeah. like I did believe because people looked at me a little bit like, oh, Joey's a little crazy. He drinks, he gets in trouble. He's fine. Da, 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 da. So the perception was I was out there or a little bit different or, mm. you know yeah. what I mean? But at, at really, because not going through the school systems and being indoctrinated with all their shit, I kind of had my own belief system that I put together for myself. Yeah. So I, I kind of yes. had this belief system. I, I didn't believe I was a sinner when I was born. I said, Ma, you're tripping. I was trying to kind of grow. I raised my kids Jewish. Right. I'm Italian, Puerto Rican. That, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. wasn't, you know what I mean? But it yeah. felt close to my tribe. So I was like, yeah. I can kind of get with that. Shout out to the Jews. Right? Mazel tov. So, but in, in it, it just seemed like something comfortable to me, but I was reaching for something and not knowing what it was. I'd watch old shows in the Holocaust, I start crying. I wouldn't, I wouldn't see me. I'd be like tripping. I'm like, what the is it? Yeah. Why is this bothering me? I mean, yeah. obviously it's going to bother anybody, but it yeah. seemed like it was bothering me at a different level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I could feel it. You mm, know, like even yeah. though I talk about it, I could, I could feel it. So without telling anybody, um, I started going over to a temple and my, my ex-wife was Jewish, but she didn't really practice because something very tragic that happened in her family. Mm. So then I started going to Kabbalah because it seemed a little bit more not so. And I was like, maybe I can get yeah. with this for a second, yeah. right? So I sat in a Kabbalah class. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is it. I'm going to get my girl to come here. She's mm. going to do this because we have to figure something out. Right. I knew there was something pulling me to something, right. but not knowing that I was trying, you know, I was seeking something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I came home. She started going to Kabbalah. She took it to a new place. 
and I just felt like I did it. Like I, I found it, so I did my job. You go, I, I, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I did it. I, I found, found it. Yeah, you, I did my job. I really, in my head, thought that. Yeah. Like I always say, yeah, it's because of me. Yeah. You know, and I would try to own that, not knowing yeah. what is a practice, what yeah. it, what is this, does any of this shit yeah. mean. Yeah. You know. I think I think you know this is it's interesting you say that. I, I think that's key. I think if 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 I can share with anybody like why I think any of us are successful is because we actually put in the work and and that's what I made a decision to do in there I, I didn't wait till I got out to to, to do to change right yeah. I woke up every day at 5 a.m. and meditated every single day I studied my books I did my practices I changed my, my habits in there yeah. I changed the way that I responded to people in there mm. right I didn't wait so that it was easy when I got out I was already I created this whole new person and the interesting thing was I, I did it for me, not for anybody else. And I gained more respect and people started to respect me more because I, the more that I knew who I am, the more that people would respect me for who I was. And I just stopped giving two fucks about what anybody else thought about me. You so know? I was going <laughs> to ask you the question, but just so you all know where he, what that just meant, I was going to ask you, how did you balance, I know, I know for myself, what it was like, but how did you balance walking in this new, and oh, I should say this old truth yeah. of who you are, because you found out who you really were yeah. in that moment. How were you able to balance that truth while yet still being yeah. in this space? Yeah. Um, and this is what I think what Joy was yeah. uh, asking earlier, like uh, when we were offline, like how how, how do you balance being this good righteous person with integrity yeah. but still having to be in this world that is full of chaos yeah. and violence yeah. because even i know for me even being in my truth there was still mo being yeah. in my truth and being love and wanting to be example of hey what's possible we can all get along here right yeah i want to be rodney king but at the same time yeah. there were times where you know I had to move away from Rodney King and Martin Luther King and then some Malcolm X shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But and when, I, and how do you... How do you balance that? When that presents itself because... That's challenging, yeah. Right? But you still have the other dude. So the one thing is you know that other dude's there. Yeah. But you question it because you're like, because that's like you do. You're like, wait a minute. I'm not going to do this. You start questioning the things you do so that dude doesn't have to rear his ugly head. For me, like I always yeah. like question it. Like why would I do that to another man or why would I do these things, you know, like, and I'd have yeah. to kind of talk myself through it, you know, and, and ultimately it was just my fear. Yeah. You know, it was me tripping on something when I just had to kind of back away from it. Yeah. But that, that's like what, what Kane brings up is a really good point. And, and if you haven't been in a situation like that, it's hard to explain. I, I know Victor Frankl, you know, had a situation like that where he was in an environment that was horrible, you know, Holocaust survivor and, you know, Nazi concentration camp. And he, overrode his environment um, by choosing his his response over what was happening, what he couldn't control. He could mm. control how he responded to those things. And and he had a lot of conflict, you know, seeing some of his own people doing worse things than the SS guards were doing. Mm. And he got to see that human nature has such beautiful potential and at the same time has such wicked potential um, based upon choice, based upon how we choose to respond. To respond, and so that what Kane said was the most hardest thing for me 
was that I was I had and was having this spiritual experience in which I wanted to break bread, meaning share things with everybody. Mm-hmm. And yet the rules in there were saying you can't you can you, there's rules that you can't do certain things. Like I like I wouldn't be able to like have a dinner or or share my meal with another African American. Right. Like these are the rules of the prison that you have to like follow by at the same time. I was feeling like loving and being cool to everybody. Yeah. Right? I was seeing this unified field of we're all one, regardless of color or creed or background. And so, it, but what it did for me was it was more like a slingshot. It was just giving me more momentum so that when I wasn't in that environment, I could fully express that when I, when I wasn't in that environment. So I used it in a positive and I did something which... I never met anybody in there that did this. Um, maybe Kane is, but I never asked you. So the way that I, I viewed it and how I came out of there, I believe so successful is because most people were looking at that experience of, I can't wait to get out of here. This is how everybody in there was going, I can't wait yeah. to get They would count the days and the yeah. months and this and the, the minutes. Yeah. And I viewed it the complete opposite. I viewed it like, there's not enough time for me to do what I need to do before I get out. Right, so I had right, right. books to study, things to work on. I had schedules to do. I was busy in there. I, I shifted my perception of how I seen it. Yeah. So Has my, anybody ever wrote a book on how to do time? Because I tell hey. you, <laughs> want to collaborate, Michael? But here's the But here's the thing, and we were talking about this earlier. Is like I, I, space between. No, no I'm just saying. Because, because, no one because, and, and let's talk about would. that because the phrase we start out with, right? <laughs> the phrase we start out with today was doing time, doing time. And so what I learned in there, it's not doing time; it's being. Mm-hmm. We're not human doings, right? We're human right. beings, right? So I learned how to be and master time. Right. Instead of doing, you can't do time. It's fucking time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right but you right. can be present. And I learned how to be present Key. and shift my perception on how I view time, right? And so, go ahead. For me, it was, was so cool. much like that in the sense where I thought, and that's, we haven't even had this conversation. Mm-hmm. We haven't had this conversation mm-hmm. before. And it was exactly the same thing for me, Joey, where I was looking around and watching everyone just be miserable, like, man, I got to get out of here, man, I got to get out of here. Complaining and this and that. Right, right, man, oh, man. But I compared it to Christmas. I remember literally one day sitting and thinking, because some dude had made a joke, man, it's like, man, this is like waiting on Christmas, man. You know, when you're a kid, right, you're waiting. Right. Christmas takes forever, yeah. and it's like two days away, but it feels like two years. Right. Because you're so just, that's all you're anticipating is that time right. coming. So what right. I did is I said, you know what? Like you, I got work to do here. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let me be present, because while I'm here, I can be learning, I can be reading, I can be teaching myself this, this. Yeah. And the time I looked up, man, and it was like they were like, Dyer, back your shit. <laughs> no, yeah, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, those are some powerful lessons, I think, for sure. Um, and, and we were talking about this earlier, and I kind of want to jump into this section because I think it's so important that that right now on our planet, the this moment, like this space that we're all of us in, mm-hmm. I mean, this was so amazing today was you guys invited me to the global meditation that you guys put together. I mean, it was just incredible to hear some of these thought leaders echo, you know, Echo what I'm feeling. Echo what you're feeling, right? 
And that's that I know without a shadow of a doubt that I've been prepared for this time. Like I'm all that stuff of being locked up and incarcerated and being in quarantine, right? Learning how to manage that. This is what we're learning right now how to do in this point. And when I got out in 2012 in January, it was not unicorns and rainbows when I got out. I got out with zero in my bank account. I had to wash cars, catch a bus, buy secondhand clothes. I felt what that felt like yeah. after being a millionaire to be somebody that had to get secondhand clothes and catch the bus. And that yeah. humility and coming from that space and growing from that and building what I had to build and going through those struggles that I went through of it took me years to try to figure this stuff out because I was applying an old school of thought in getting out, which was hard work, hard work, make money. And if you make money, you're going to be able to get what you want. So I used that approach in the beginning and it, it, I had my values in alignment. I was in integrity, but I was using the hard work method. And I saved my money and I saved my money because I knew that if I had enough money, I'd be able to, to help people, right? That's what I thought. But the universe was like, no, that's not how it's going to go down. But mm. I didn't know that, right? Mm. So I'm working my ass off. I got a job working for a limousine company. My son remembers this. He used to come visit me. And I was working like literally 24 hours. I told the owner, give me, give me the phone and give me a car and I'll take every single car. I'm going to be your number one driver. And when less than three months, I, I was the number one driver working for this limousine company, really? but didn't have a life. I was sick. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was saving every single penny. Saved about 20-something, 20 23000 within eight months while on probation. While on probation, right? And then I'm like, okay, I know. This is how it's going to work. I went to this personal growth seminar called Size Seminars. Mm -hmm. And I met, a, I met a guy. And he's like, hey, I have this idea. And he goes, I, your story's fucking amazing, dude. I love it. I just sold my company for six mil. And this dude is vaporing, this vapor business. Vaporizers are doing well right now. And I'm like, is this what I've been waiting for? This to make money so I can go help people, right? I'm like, okay, let's do it. He goes, I want you to run the company. I'll put up the money. I'm like, all right, cool. So I, here I am running an online company, never even used a computer before really, right? And went through that of learning how to market and scale, make videos in this product that I didn't even believe in because I didn't even vape, right? Right, right? But I'm going like, this is it, universe, thank you. I couldn't get the, the company to make profit. It was making money, but I was battling in China and all these big industries. It was an online company, right? And the, 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 the market was saturated. So when I wasn't making this, the money, my, my partner was like, I'm going to inject another 30000 into it, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to put some skin in the fucking game. I'm going to put my, my 17000 into it. Put my 17000 into it. Worked it another year and couldn't get it to work. Mm. And I had to look at it and be like, this isn't it. This isn't it. It was one of the hardest fucking decisions to make. I walked I away from that company. I lost all the money that I worked my ass off to make. And I sat there going like, can you throw me a bone here? Yeah. My God, I'm trying really hard to do yeah. this thing right now. What's going on? You know, I just lost my money. Sad, and I was like, feeling sober and this is when I was talking to you this is when you and I were talking again yeah because we, we hadn't talked for years I yeah. got a hold of Eric you got a hold of you and I'm like I'm gonna put it for my probation to get released I had five years my probation officer said you're not gonna get it you only have two years in you need at least 50% but you went to trial they think you're, they know you're a high profile you're not gonna get it I put my paperwork in anyway got released 
<laughs> called Kane. I'm like, dude, I'm going to come teach and I'm going to come work at Emerging Leaders and help transform people's lives. Yeah. Broke. Got on a fucking plane. Yeah. Went to LA with hardly any money. Worked for a friend that owned a escrow company that just opened up. Says, go sell escrow. I got no idea how to sell escrow. I'm doing it in Glendale with all the Armenians and I'm not <laughs> Armenian. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be successful in this. Yeah. How am I going to be successful in this? We love our this? Armenians. I love them. But it's like, but if you're not in with them, it's like you're not going to get in with them. These people have 30 year relationships and I'm yeah. here trying to get them to do escrow with us, right? <laughs> Didn't work out. I'm driving an hour and a half two times a week with yeah. Kane yeah. to go teach for free with yeah. Clyde Terry at Emerging Leaders Academy, right? Yeah. For like a year and a half. Broke wow. as a joke, man. Just feeling so like, the, knew that I'm being of service, but I wasn't filling my cup, right? And I'm like, oh, God, there's gotta be a way for this to work out. <laughs> I don't know how it's gonna work out, but it's gonna work You're out. like, I'm not selling vape pins so anymore. I, I, st I, st I stopped doing the Uber thing. I mean, I stopped doing the escrow thing and my friend Suro said, hey, Take this Uber Black and drive that. You're a limousine driver in the past. You can make money. I'm like, okay. Took the Uber Black SUV and again, worked my ass off. No life. Three months, made 10 grand. Get into an accident with the same car. Because of my integrity, I pay for the damages. I'm back to fucking zero again. <laughs> and I'm sitting there this time going like, okay, this is two times, God. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And it hit me. It hit me. I'm not trusting and putting my faith in the universe. Mm -hmm. I was in, in, and I kept hearing his voice going like, I want to give you everything and you're chasing crumbs. What are you doing? And I heard a clip from Jim Carrey and he was speaking to the Maharishi group. And he's saying, I learned a lot from my dad. He was an amazing comedian. He took the safe job as an accountant and he got fired. So I learned that you can fail at what you don't like, so you might as well take a chance at what you do. And at that moment, I'm like, fuck it. It's like five years ago. And I said, I'm, I'm going to just do this. Yeah. And I did. I, I, got, I, I took the NLP trainings. I took a one-year-long coaching program. And in that first year, said, I'm going to fill my cup so I can help other people from the overflow. Hit six figures as a coach. Took more trainings. Took a, got three, two more coaching certifications. Manifested a, a, an opportunity as a lead trainer for a, a coaching company to go out and certify other life coaches. So now I'm like certifying life coaches. I'm coaching high-end clients, right? I'm traveling the country now twice a month teaching groups of people all over the country doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and getting getting compensated, feeling good, making multiple six figures. Say what right? you just said before, two, two, two sentences ago, because that's the key element right there. Doing what I love to do. You're doing what you're supposed what to do. What supposed to be doing. And, and so it was beautiful, man. I'm like doing this thing. And again, everything is going great. Everything is going great. So then I'm like, but what, what is my next level, right? What is, what is the next level? And I knew I'm getting these visions that there's more to it than this company that I'm working for. And I, and I, but I knew it was a good thing because it's like my dream job, right? They're paying me to go certify life coaches and I'm in front of people and you were in one of my classes, right? You yeah. see me in my element, bro. Bro, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was super dope because we had like 20-something people and here it is. I, I'm just so proud of you, man, because 
you're talking about years down the line now where you had tried to do other things that were to in, a, in an effort to help other people, but it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing. And the moment you said, fuck it, I'm just going to stick to what I, what yeah. I know I'm supposed to be doing at, the universe catapulted you yeah. super quick yeah, really at that fast. moment, super fast. Yeah. And it was within a year and a half after that, it's just he was changed teaching fast. courses, had a job where he's traveling around the world doing that. Well, not around the world, but around the United States. Yeah. Doing that. And I got to be in one of these classes where I got certified. Yeah, that's yeah, what's up. That's right. That's what's up. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Life Coach to you guys. Mr. Life Coach. So, 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 yeah. so, but it was so beautiful because we were in this class, man, and the people were just on fire. They're on fire. And so much of it had to do with the energy that you were bringing, man. So yeah. you just stepped into your yes. Yeah. But the universe still yeah. had a surprise for yeah. you. Go ahead. It still had a surprise for me. But, but I want to be clear. Like, I didn't just decide to be a life coach. Like, I studied my craft. I, yeah. I studied my craft and I, and I practiced my craft. And I, I got really good at getting people results. That's the bottom line, right? It's like, there's no shortcut. For any of you guys listening to you, I wish there was. You got to put in your dues and you got to get good at your craft. You get good at your craft, you'll get, you'll get paid for what you love. But there's a, there's a space of skill, right? Talent will only get you so far. You know, I, talent is cool, but if you don't polish that talent, it's just talent. So I, I, I used the talent that I had and polished it and got to that level by, by doing that. And, and I'm like, there's just something more. And I was telling Kane, even when you came to that class, I mean, there's something more. There's yeah. something more. Because I'm having these downloads of teaching things differently. And I had to teach a certain way for this company. So I created an online course. I created an online course called Coaching Performance Mastery, in which I was taking coaches through a step-by-step process to help them scale brand and monetize their business. Because I see so many coaches out there with this gift, Reiki masters, healers, um, light workers. They, they have this gift, but they don't. They have these blocks with monetizing their gift and they're broke and they're miserable like I was five years ago, right? Right. So I created this program to help them do that. And my program started to do really, really well, really, really fast. And I'm promoting myself. So the company and I had a conflict of interest. And so and so I had to leave. But right? here's what's interesting in that. And I think this definitely needs to be pointed out. You were doing what you wanted to do. But I remember flying back on the plane with him, Joey. We we're flying back from Miami. And uh, he said, just what you said, you were like, you know, uh, I love doing this. I love doing this because he's teaching classes. He's, he's training coaches. He's certifying coaches. And he's putting all his heart and soul into it. And he's blessing these coaches and giving them these amazing tools. But he said, I'm supposed to be doing more, man. I'm supposed to be doing more. And I, hey, if I, if I create this program, man, you, you know, you, you run in it, come check it out with me. I was like, bro, you, you're doing it. I'm in it. You're doing it. I'm in it, man. He goes, yeah. okay, I, I think I'm supposed to do this too, man. And within two months, tell yeah. him what happened. Yeah, I just blew up the program. This did so well. But tell him what happened with your actual job that you oh, said, yeah, yeah. I don't so, think I'm supposed to be here. So, yeah, so the job that I was working for, they let me go, you know, they let me go. And I was like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like, cause now, like, I'm not going to be in front of people, right? But then I just had to look at, okay, universe, right? This isn't my first rodeo. 
but you gave me two years of experience of teaching classes. Like, I know that I can do this shit now, right? So now I'm in this process where I'm all in and invested into marketing. I'm going to be creating my own training programs, my own classes, my own stuff. And it's just the next level, right? And it's just, that's where I'm at right now. I'm at this place where I'm like digging deep and going like, let's go. Right. Let's go, right? You're already <laughs> certifying coaches. Yeah. Yeah, th- that's what he does yeah. you know, for a living. Yeah, I see certified. Certified. I've certified. I've certified thousands of coaches and, and coach people one-on-one. And, and, and there's an art to coaching that pe- most people do not understand. It's not advice giving. This is conversation. When I'm in a session, when I'm, I'm in a class, it's a, different, it's a, it's a whole different approach that, that you use. And it's, there's an art to it. And it's the, it's the art of bringing out what's inside of somebody. And without them realizing that you did it. That is really the art, is how do you have a conversation with somebody? How do you do a class with somebody in which they wake up and they get the credit for Mm. it? And you don't get the guru credit for it. Because it's not about me, right? Uh It's about them. And if it's about me, then they're going to always need me to give them that. So my, my goal, my clients, is for them to never need me. Right? For my students to become leaders themselves. So my vision is to create leaders that go out and impact other people. That's I'm clear with all my past. So which leads to this. Where we're at in life right now, I'm fucking excited, man. So many people are scared shitless. I'm excited because I know that there's a huge awakening right now happening. And like the proof was today. In what you guys created, right? <laughs> like you know, all these people all around the world tuning in and hearing these messages from these thought leaders, right? And spreading this, you know, like like uh, Sue Mortar was talking about, right? Uh, what our shift is affecting people. Mm. My mindset is affecting yeah. somebody across the planet. That whole butterfly effect is fucking. Home, right, and then you know, and then like Marianne Williamson came in and just kicked some knowledge, right? It was like, that's my girl right there. And then uh, you know, Preston was doing his thing. I mean, all oh these, man, they were, okay. it was like, it was good. It was, it was, a, it was beautiful. Bro, when Preston started speaking, yeah, because I know, and you, we, we've seen him, yeah. from his, from his beginning, yeah, start, bro. And when he was speaking, I swear, bro. I thought I was looking at Michael Beckwith exactly or Deepak like Chopra. Well, he's modeled him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's his teacher. He, every word, everything, yeah. he said, everything he said. What was so beautiful yeah. is yeah. when Preston was speaking. Yeah. Sorry to get off talking, but it's yeah, great here. it's good. When Preston was speaking, I was watching Michael Beckwith because I was sitting next to Michael. <laughs> and, and, you know, Preston and I both are, you know, Michael has been our mentor. Yeah. And it was so beautiful, but that speaks that speaks volumes for Michael Beckwith too, yeah. because yeah. while Preston was speaking, and man, Preston, you did that, you did it, bro. Yeah, well, well, you too, Alexi. But Preston, you know yeah. what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Preston, when he was <laughs> speaking, I watched Michael light up. Yeah. Because guess what? Oh my God, I just got chills. I did what Joey does. Yeah. I lit up just now because Michael. Yeah was so, there wasn't this, oh, you know, I kind of groomed this guy, and and why is he, I, he was Mm -mm. so proud to see Preston on that tape, man, just stepping into that power and healing people, because Preston's words landed with me, man. Yeah, he was powerful. And, And Michael Beckwith had the same 
reaction that you just talked about, yeah. it wasn't about Michael going, oh, look at me. It was about, wow, yeah. this dude. That's what it's about. Preston gets it, yeah. you know, and he's giving it. Now Preston's giving it back. Yeah. And it was beautiful yeah. to watch uh, so him awesome. get it. And that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah. you don't need to have these coaches that you're training rely mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. They get it like Preston got it. That's yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, one of, one of my teachers, um, his name is Doctor Matt, and uh, I actually hired him. I just hired him as my coach, and just to hire this guy, who's a was my teacher, uh, to be able to afford to hire him, just that alone, was my goal. Right. You know, and this guy, Doctor Matt. Long story short, scholarship me into a lot of the trainings yeah. because he believed in me. He believed in me. He trained uh, Clyde, helped him put together the, the Emerging Leaders program. But, but you, you need to keep to let the audience know you put skin in the game, bro. Yeah, no, you no, put I your did. Own money in the game. I and did. You, because of his diligence. Yeah. Because of your your diligence in putting your own skin in the game. Yeah. Then the universe, God opened the door. Yeah. To yeah. Help and you and out it's the rest some, of the sometimes and I'm sure you guys can relate. Sometimes it takes somebody else seeing you when you don't see yourself. You know, and it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to see ourselves, but sometimes it's like we're in the space and somebody sees you and you don't see it. And that's what this guy did for me. He yeah. saw me and he just gave me a little bit that I needed to be like, okay, right? And so I'm like, I'm going to come back and I hired him. So, but, but the reason why I brought him up also is because he is that person like Michael Beckwith where he thrives off seeing his students go out and become better than him or as him. He, that's a true teacher, right. in my opinion. Right. Which is so important, family out there. It is so important who you allow to speak into you. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> not everyone that's speaking into you wants, wants the best. your best good. Sometimes they just want the, you know, the, the credit. So I, I, I absolutely applaud you for yeah. being one of these coaches, bro, that you, you want to give them their own thing. You don't need... Yeah. To look I, I'm you. obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the human condition. I'm obsessed with helping people become better versions of themselves. I'm obsessed with it for myself, for yeah. number one. Um, I'm always looking at myself, analyzing myself. Kane and I will have conversations, and sometimes, you, you know, and we're just like, I'll challenge you. I'll challenge your thinking. You know, yeah. I'll challenge my thinking. I'm always challenging thinking. Like, if you're going to be my friend, you're going to get challenged. We have some unheated Or you're not going to be my fucking friend. Yeah. Because I'm not going to sit here and just agree with everything, you know? I think I hung up on you the other day. It's a trip listening to you guys and just... I hung up on you You did. I was like, I told my son, I go, he comes over, he goes, what happened? I go, Kane just hung up on me. (laughs) Listen, it ain't always pretty either. It ain't always pretty. Sometimes Um, we get triggered. Yeah, yeah. But that's what friends do. Friends, yeah. in my opinion, I want people around me that are going to tell me, hey, Michael, check, look at it this way. Yeah. Not agree with me, but help me see it in a different way. And if I'm wrong, fucking tell me I'm wrong. And I need to look at that, you know? And, yeah. and to me, that's, that's what I, I surround myself today with people that are going to help me level up. Straight up. And if that's not you, there's no room in my circle. I'm friends with everybody. But who I share my time with, very selective. Right. Yeah. Very selective who I actually share my conversation with and my thoughts with. And, and I don't share my goals with anybody. So this is one of the things that I'm really big on. You don't share your vision 
with everybody until the vision's already happened because some people don't know how to hold the space in the container for the vision, mm-hmm. right? They'll just shoot, shoot your energy field down, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. With what's going on with the COVID, yeah. you know, so many yeah. people want to, um, you know, he's like, oh my God, this is just so awful and so this. Can you tell us how you have been able to use COVID even to your advantage? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it's really to use it to my adva- to my advantage, but I know. Well, not right, let it stop you. Right when it happened, like I just, I, I can't even explain to you guys. I felt like this light turned on and say, "It's this is what you've been waiting for," mm. and I started making videos, and I got, I've gotten, you know, slack for the videos, and it's like, it's time for us to wake up, and I'm just getting this really strong intuition, like. Even when I'm doing as life coach and I'm feeling like my message is going to become more spiritual, um, more like, hey, like, because all the work that I do that I'm passionate about doing is I've been spending years understanding. First, it started out, let me just say this, start out with the spirituality part. Remember, who is God? What is God? What's my purpose? That was what I started. But what I learned is that if we don't work on our mindset, Right. Yeah. We're fucked. Yeah. Because the unconscious mind runs ninety five percent of our lives, if not higher, they say. Yeah. So if my belief systems are off, I can't I can't receive the super consciousness. So that's the first part, right? But my, my main objective always is to help people connect more to that. Whatever that is for them. Right. right? And so I feel like right now my work is really starting to have this spin where it's like helping people not only remember because you can remember and have bad fucking habits and horrible ways of showing up and horrible beliefs we have to shift our mindsets and our belief systems and our programming and our habits so that we are responding more godlike goddess-like it'll change on the planet trip too because not only the your vocabulary changes you change i lost like 50 60 pounds started Mm. losing weight yeah and my ex was like, she goes, I think you're dying. They, they thought I had all kinds of diseases. <laughs> Seriously, because I started changing so much yeah. that I looked physically so different yeah. that they thought something was definitely wrong with me. Wow. And I was like shedding weight. Like if you saw it, my face was for everything. Just everything changed from the way I spoke to the way, even the way I dressed. I, didn't, I wouldn't wear certain colors because I didn't want to intimidate people. Yeah. Like I started to really worry about what people were, not thinking of me, but like I didn't want to like like stress anyone out anymore. Yeah. Like I used to do that like in my everyday world, that's how I used to get things is right. by intimidation. And not say like by punching, but by mentally fucking with somebody, you can get right. a lot out of them by just right. it, with smiles even. You know what I mean? You right. can just fucking mentally me- just go there. And that's just the way I live my life, you know? Right. And then all of a sudden it's like seeing something. I never really saw somebody for, I saw somebody for something I wanted from them. Yeah. You know, so I'd look at them and they'd be talking to me and I wouldn't be listening to them. I'd be thinking about what I fucking wanted from them. <laughs> right. I'd be like, yeah, ha, ha. You must be uh, 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 But you do, you're sitting there and you're like, you don't give a fuck. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it started, I started to give a fuck. Yeah. Like I actually was listening to what people said and I was like, and making sure that they knew that yeah. I was listening. Yeah. And I don't know why it was so important, but then I would, it just made me feel like I was connecting to myself almost, you know, like, like starting to understand that connection, that, maybe it's that oneness. I'm like, blah, 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 oneness my fucking ass. And when you're listening to people, Joey, and you're feeling like you're connecting and you know they're listening, they're hearing you, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's, it's changes, it changes the whole, it, 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 stop. It just, (laughs) look at my, it changes the whole thing. 
Like you start to go look at the, the whole world just changed because you start to feel love for yourself. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, I could love this other, I, everything. I could hear the ocean speaking, like the, the, the birds, everything. I, I'd look at the color of a tree. What would you, comp- what would, I'm curious, what would you, co- like when you have that feeling of love yeah. for yourself, what do you compare that to? How could you describe that? Because I'm curious to know that. It's interesting. I love um, it. Sounds like you're coaching right now. No, no. I, I, heard, I know you're coaching. No, I want, I want to know what you're saying. Because I, I want to connect Honestly, with that. Honestly, it, it, it felt like something I didn't get my whole life. Mm. You know what I mean? So I wanted, I wanted my mom to be proud of me. I wanted my dad to be proud of me. I just wanted somebody to love me. I was looking. I was leaving my house to find it. I told you earlier. Yeah. I was going. I was five years old living in Chateau Juan. I was people slamming dope. I was looking for love. But not like in, like I was raised by a village. And I ended up finding it at 48 years old, and it was me. And all of this is a result of me. you. Of you all of this is a result of you listening yeah. to somebody. <laughs> it, took, it took that long in feeling separated from my family yeah, to actually have that that union with God, to where yeah. I started to go, wow, I really feel connected to everybody. Mm. Not you know, because I just would goof on people if they spoke like that. Yeah. Now yeah. when I hear like another dude like you speak like this or like you, I'm like, God, this motherfucker could help a lot of people. In the back yeah, of my head, right. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, I could Very hear different. Yeah. Oh, totally different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Was, I was such a sarcastic freaking asshole before in the past. <laughs> I was a wise ass. I was Is that the only nice friends. bad guy? <laughs> 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 I'm sitting here. <laughs> oh man. It, but yeah, but you know, it, the, <laughs> those things though, I think that because I was able with a limited education to get people to listen to me yeah. because I was able to create this identity that people bought into. Yeah. They bought into this thing yeah. that I created. I go fucking hit someone. They go, okay, don't fuck with it. So every year you just have to yeah. do one crazy thing and they, okay, we're not going <laughs> to fuck with it. So you could create, go, oh, okay. So if I yeah. do this, it's going to create this. And so I mm. kept creating this with money and these things around me. And then I could buy things and get, I was able to create a whole reality and yeah. identity with yeah. money and some bullshit yeah. scheming, manipulating, yeah. whatever. I don't know whatever you want to call it. No, I get you it. Know? But yeah. here, here was a thing that really shifted for me. And, and, that's, and I kind of skipped over this part. But when I was in prison and, and I started to feel um, this love, I started to feel this joy. Mm-hmm. And it was way stronger than any happiness I ever felt when I had all the things I had. That's when I'm like, holy crap, this yeah. is something right here. Yeah. And that's what I've been focused on, is expanding that to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Something I think that's really beautiful, and, and, and you know, especially we want the audience to get this, is that you know, though you started out just uh, mm. teaching ex-felons like myself, how to transform their life mm-hmm. by, you know, by so much of the example of your life, but I think it's so beautiful now to see so many of your clients yeah. because so many of your clients and, and what's great is you still do that work mentoring people that have come from those high risk places. But now like so, so much of so many of your clients are actually in the corporate business yeah, world exactly. and you're teaching them and, and most of them have never been to prison. Yeah. So he's not just a prison Ex guy coach, <laughs> he teaches clients from yeah. corporate America and yeah. all well, types of it's Because when you understand the mind and how the mind works, it, we're all struggling with the same, yeah, the same stuff. It's just a science, you know. Understand the science of how the mind works. Just make different choices based upon different different things. And I think one thing, if I could leave with this, is that you know the shift that I think 
was the big one was when I started to really have faith and trust. Before that was when I, I had a like work effort and try to have that security before I could make a decision. And when I let go of that and I just stepped into the unknown, fully trusting that it, it will show up. Right. And if I put in the right effort, I mean the right uh, action behind it, but I had the right vision and I just trust whenever it doesn't seem like it's there, I just know it's going to come. And I have that excitement like it's Christmas. Right, like right, it's right. every single day and I just know it's coming like my training company it's already it's already in the ether it's already there it's not manifested yet but watch the next time we speak in about a year from now it's going to be like oh how's your training come on oh, it's good I've already ran five trainings right. right it's already there it's just a matter of me stepping into that and embodying the frequency and the vibration of it yeah. if it already happening now right so it's like focusing on what you want as if you already have it Right. And doing the right action behind it, not sitting around either, going like, well, it's going to come, but just sit around, putting the action, but having the frequency and the vibration and the embodiment of it, and just putting the work. Mm. I, I Thank you so much, man. I, I, I know that you thought you were going to end on that. <laughs> I do what Kane always does, go back and jump back in, right? Check it out. I, I, I would like you to finish on, on, on another note. And that note is because we started and we talked about the issues with your father and stuff like that, because I think so many people have these issues, whether it's with their parents or spouses or relatives and things like that, that have earlier in their life been in a really bad place. Can you tell us, I know, but I'd love for you to share with the audience, the beautiful relationship that you and your father have now? Yeah. It, it's definitely beautiful, and it, and it came when I accepted him for who he is, mm. and I stopped trying to change him, and I realized that he did the best he could with the resources he had. There it is. And, I, and I'm breaking that generational thing with my son and other people, right? So love him, accept him for who he is. That's right. And just, um, you know, and I think that's, there's, there's a power in that, and, and you don't have to agree with somebody to love him. You know, right? I can't think of a better way to end. That. <laughs> right? The only, so, only um, better way I can think of to end is look this man up, Michael Torres Hymas. He is a rock star coach, and uh, he will get you where you need to be. Joey, thank you, bro, so much for coming down. That was great. I really appreciate sitting down with you and just even talking to you. Just you know, at the meditation and, yeah. and sitting down with you here. I, it was funny because we, he, we, you know, when you're talking about people to interview, because he'd be like, and I'd be like, no, we want to interview him. <laughs> this is true. We've had straight some up. big names come up, yeah. and he's like, well, I want to get Michael in there. I want to get straight Michael up, in. ask him. Every, yeah, yeah. Like, and he, so, I don't want to say the other name, but it was, a, it was good, you know, like, you'd be like that, but I was like, nah, dude, that's just... That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a super big name, and he was like, no, let's get, let's get Michael in there. Yeah. And, and to, our, to our audience, here's what I want to leave you guys with right here right right here you have three men um and, and i just meant like as i'm describing us but I'm, you have women in other spaces that have done the same thing but you have three men that have been to rock bottom mm. and have been to the darkest of the darkest places mm. and didn't necessarily know how we were going to make it out yeah. and more times than not probably even didn't think we were going to make it out. Mm. And today, those three guys 
that have been in the darkest places on the planet were absolutely instrumental in putting together a global meditation where we yeah. had over millions and millions of people yeah. tuning behind, in dude. and being love at the same time, meditating at the same time. This is what we got to take part in. And yeah. stepping into our yes, Michael stepping into his yes, Joey stepping into his yes, yeah. put us in a place where the universe blessed us today to see something that I didn't even know I would I would see. Yeah. So for you guys that are in those dark places right now, yeah. sorry, here's the motorcycle, we'll let it go. Yeah. But but for you all that are in those dark places right now, look at this man's life. Look at this man's yeah. life. If you need to look at my life and look at we are the possibility. Yeah. We are the possibility of what can be. Yeah. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God and the universe. Yeah. Just, yeah, uh, I'm just getting, I'm getting goosebumps between. with you right now, man. <laughs> That's so amazing. Because I remember, I don't even know how long ago, a few years ago, I was like, Kane, when are you going to do your thing, Kane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you You're did. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Kane, no, no, Kane, when are you going to do your thing, Kane? That's what's up. That's what's up. That's You're like, yeah, up. yeah, Mike, I got I to do this. I got it. And to see you here, bro, and what you, what you two are creating and what you created and are going to create still. Like, I'm just honored to be a part of it. So thank thanks. both of you, man. For real. And thanks, Joy, yeah. for for your vision, May Day, with the May Day thing yeah. with Brandy of Creative Visions. Yeah. It was so beautiful, man. And, that was and magical. we all got to be a part of that. Yeah. I'm really excited. I was really like this morning before anything happened, because I knew she was, was going to be hard to hit what she was trying to hit. But just the fact that she went and she put her, her she went for it. I was so excited because I remember just saying Brandy, like that's no matter mm. what she fight and she threw down and she did it and you know a lot of other people it just it's it's a big bite to chew on to put yourself out there like that so I was so I was happy that she that she went for it and that we were able to be part of it yeah, yeah totally beautiful. hey Damien uh, all you guys um, Reverend Michael Beckwith and all the people that were involved with it thank you guys that was great thank you very mm. much mad mad love for y'all Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us at the space between, mm. and we'll see you soon. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. Peace. Peace.